Thank you guys for being here this morning. We are at the uh, brand new uh, series called The Pursuit, Ancient Wisdom and Modern Living. It's something I'm very, very, very excited about. I know I get passionate about all of our series, but I genuinely, truly believe from the bottom of my heart that this is one of those series um, that could add amazing value to your life and that three, four, five weeks from now that you could potentially be totally different place than you are right now. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1 and hang out there for a few minutes. And uh, before we get started, I want to tell you about something that's cool that's happening tonight, tomorrow night, and Tuesday night. Uh, Ron and Eve Dival are holding what they're calling a mini-conference, um, and they are two very passionate people about biblical truth. And I think that you don't have to be around, uh, be hanging out too much, watching too much news, hanging around public schools to know uh, that our society is kind of waging a war on biblical truth. Um, and they have put together a cool little series. It's set up for six people or 200 people. It doesn't matter if this room is completely full or if it's just a life group or two. Um, it is awesome. And it's tonight, tomorrow night, and Tuesday night starting at seven o'clock. Um, and if you can't come tonight, come try to come at least one night because I've seen some of the stuff. It is just amazing truth. It's very interesting, um, especially younger people. It would be something awesome for you to come hang out with your family and, uh, and come bribe your parents. Like, listen, I'll go to church again today uh, if you take me out to eat tonight. Just do that. Um, they want you in church. So it's just a cool way to get something free for it. Parents, you're welcome. So um, be here tonight, 7 o'clock, Monday night, 7 o'clock, Tuesday night, 7 o'clock. It's an awesome uh, event. Like I said, it can be geared for six people or 200 people. So just come if, uh, if you uh, ain't got anything to do, if you don't have any plans. Um, if you go ahead and pray with me, we'll go ahead and get started. Father God, I just want to thank you so much, Lord, just for everything um, that you've done in this service so far. God, just an amazing opportunity we had just to worship you um, through song, Lord. I thank you for everything you've done. I pray, Lord, at the beginning of this series, God, I pray, Father, that you would just put your hands on this church, Lord God, as we move forward over the next three or four weeks, God, and we study what is some of the deepest thoughts and ideas that rest in Scripture, God, that you will just humble me, Lord, Father, that you will empty me completely out, that, that it will be only your word and your truth and your wisdom that is taught and nothing from this world and nothing from me, Lord God, that you would just open up our hearts and our minds and penetrate the depths of our souls, Lord God, as we go through this series, Lord God, just open up our hearts and open up our minds in your holy and your precious name. Amen. I want to introduce to you a man named Solomon. Everybody in this room has heard the name King Solomon or Solomon. Even if you didn't grow up in church, I'm sure you've heard of Solomon's treasure. Solomon in secular history and in Christian history is one of the greatest men who has ever lived. He was known for his wisdom. There were kings and queens that would come from all over the world, would bow down. Kings and queens, just think about that for a second, would come from all over the world to bow down just for a few minutes to share in the wisdom of Solomon. This is a man who's the movie's national treasures and so many books and so many movies have been written about the wealth of Solomon and his treasure and that he is deemed by secular society the richest man who has ever lived. He climbed every ladder there was to climb. In his spare time, he built kingdoms. In your spare time, you watch TV. In his spare time, he built kingdoms. He built the temple of God. He did things um, that... that we're just in marvel of the things that he accomplished in such a short period of life. And in today's world, we know that anybody that succeeds in a certain area of life, basketball, business, doesn't matter. That people, as soon as they write a book that tells people how they did what they did, people buy it like crazy because we want to know. I do it all the time. Things that I'm not good at, things I want to be good at, I, who's good at it? I go to that person. I, how did you do this? How did you get here? How did you work? How did you train? And so this is Solomon, who is in almost every way, shape, and form 
for him, the most successful man in history, not, not on the planet, not alive today, in history, both in Christian history and in secular history, this man was the man, all right? Solomon wrote three books of the Bible, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon. And within these three books lies some of the greatest insight and the greatest understanding and the greatest wisdom about this earth and about this life that exists. Solomon portrayed all of his wisdom and all of the things that God had given him and all that he viewed, and he put it into three books for us to read. And the majority of this series, not the majority of today, but the majority of this series will be out of Proverbs and out of Ecclesiastes and just a little bit out of Song of Solomon. So one thing I want to ask you to do is if you don't read the Bible and you are a Christian, read the Bible. If you are not a Christian, become a Christian and read the Bible. So one of the things that we want to do through the course of this series is read through Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. And you can read through every every single day from now to the end of this series. If you read one chapter of Proverbs and then one chapter of Ecclesiastes every single day, Proverbs first, then Ecclesiastes, you will be able to take off three rest days and be able to read through and stay with the entire series. Does that make sense? So I don't really care how you read it. I don't really care what order you go in. If you have ADD like me, I usually start in the beginning and end in the middle, and and it just kind of, I just flip-flop back and forth. Just read a chapter of Proverbs a day. When you finish with Proverbs, go to Ecclesiastes, and I will promise you that if you miss every single Sunday in this series, but you read through Proverbs and you read through Ecclesiastes slowly and you take in what it's saying, your life will benefit greatly from the truth that exists in these two amazing books of the Bible. And Solomon is one of somebody I have been interested with since I remember being 17 years old, and I heard this preacher talk about Solomon and talk about a story in Solomon's life. And it's something, for whatever reason, I was just fixated on. Solomon had an opportunity. Solomon, after he made, he, he kind of took power, he rose up, he made a lot of sacrifices, he gave a lot financially out of his own resources uh, to the temple and to different things, and God came to him because Solomon honored him so much, and he said, Solomon, I want to give you something. Whatever you want, I want to give you one thing. And you know what Solomon's answer was? Take a wild guess. Wisdom. Now, it's funny for us to say that and just think about that, you know, Solomon, wisdom, good. But you think about that. I mean, you really think about it. If you had the opportunity... If if God, you know, many people think God's a genie in a bottle anyway, but let's just pretend for just a second that you actually had the opportunity that God, the creator of the universe, came to you and said, I want to give you one thing. Jordan, what will it be? All right? Probably wouldn't have been wisdom. I'm just going to throw that out there. I'll be like, listen, give me all the money in the world, and then I'll have all the time I need to get wisdom. Something I would have defended it well. I would have made it sound really good. He says, wisdom. And there's one thing you have to understand about this. Solomon says wisdom. God's response blows my mind. God's response is this. He says, Solomon, because you asked for wisdom and not wealth, because you asked for wisdom and not success, because you asked for wisdom and not power, because you asked for wisdom and not the the wants and the desires of this world, I'm going to give you wisdom and I'm going to give you everything else. Hence the reason why you and I still know his name today, because he was the wealthiest, most powerful man that ever lived. We learned two things about that. Wisdom was incredibly important to Solomon, and wisdom is incredibly important to God. 
And it blew my mind, why this man Solomon? Why did he say wisdom? He could have gotten anything he wanted. He could have gotten the golden, fiery horse chariot thing, whatever was cool back in the day. And he could have got literally anything he wanted, and he chose wisdom. And I figured it out, reading through Proverbs chapter 4, verse 5. He says this. He goes through and he says, listen, he says, when I was young, the Bible literally says, when I was inside of my mother, when I was not inside, in sight of my mother, Different story. I was in sight of my mother. (sighs) Rewind, go back. When I was young, my father said this to me. He said, get wisdom and get insight and get understanding. Proverbs verse five, uh, verse, uh, chapter four, verse five. This says Ecclesiastes 12.1. That's wrong. I have ADD. Get over it. He says this, wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom and with all your getting, get understanding. This is what Solomon says, chapter 4. He says, listen, when I was young, my father David came to me and told me this truth. Wisdom is the principal thing. David wasn't too shabby himself. David was pretty wealthy. David was pretty powerful. David was pretty successful. David was one of the greatest war uh, generals and leaders of all time. He was one of the most strategic minds of all time. David killed a lion and a bear when you were crawling around chewing on candy as a kid. All right, this man is pretty awesome. So he comes to his son Solomon, and he says, I want to teach you something, Solomon. I want to pass something down to you while you're young. Life isn't about wealth. Life isn't about treasure and riches. Life isn't about power. Life isn't about success. I'm telling you, I've experienced much of all of these things, and wisdom is the principal thing. So get wisdom, and with all you're getting, get understanding. That means get wisdom, and if you get anything else besides wisdom, go ahead and get understanding. And Solomon says, this is what my father said to me when I was young. This is what my father passed down to me, his son. So this is what I'm passing down to my sons, and this is what I'm passing down to the sons and the daughters of Israel, and to everybody throughout history that ever reads my writings. I am telling you, after the course of my life has run, and I've experienced wealth, and I've experienced treasure, and I've experienced power, and I've experienced success in every way, shape, and form, far more than any of us put together will ever experience in this life. He says, what my father said to me when I was a child is still very much true. Wisdom, the wisdom of God is the principal thing. So if you get anything in this life, get wisdom. And if you get anything else in this life, get understanding. This is the inside secret to the most powerful, successful, wealthiest man on the planet. Get wisdom. And it was important to Solomon. And it was important to God. And so the idea of this series Because Solomon pursued and was in pursuit constantly from a young age of wisdom. It is my hope. It is my desire. It is my goal that we would become a people who would be in pursuit of God's holy, ancient, majestic wisdom. And the answers to this life. The answers to why we live, to why things are, and to how to live the life that we've been given. Solomon says wisdom is the principal thing. So get it. Go after it. And so today, as an intro to this series, I just want to talk about wisdom. I just want to answer some few basic questions about wisdom. Number one, what is the source of wisdom? told you a minute ago to turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30, and this is what it says. And because of him, talking about God, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. 
All down through there, he starts to open up this idea that Christ is the wisdom and the power of God. And he talks about, through the course of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he talks about God making himself known to the world through Christ. And he says, this is what we've gained through Christ. This is what Christ has become to us. He says, Christ has become to us wisdom from God, righteousness from God, sanctification from God, redemption from God. He says, from God, he has made himself known to the world. This makes all the sense in the world. You don't even have to be a Christian to come to this logical conclusion that the source of wisdom is God. The source of wisdom is God. Why? Because God's the creator of the universe. Wouldn't it make sense, logical sense? Well, I don't know if I buy the Jesus thing. I don't know if I get the church Christian thing. I know you're probably going to ask for my money at some point, and I'm not sure I'm there yet. Uh, but, I, you know, I, but you're right. You know what? It makes sense. The creator of the universe would probably be the source of the details of life. The creator of the universe, the one that breathed life into us, the one that created us, the one that gave us life, he would probably be a good source to go to to ask what life is about. He would probably be a good source to go to to figure out why we live the life that we live and how to live the life that we live. God is the ultimate source of true wisdom. And he has made himself known to this world over and over and over again in so many different ways. But primarily and most importantly and most powerfully, he has made himself known in his ways known and his thoughts known and his knowledge and his wisdom known through Jesus Christ, our Savior. And he says not only do we gain the wisdom, not only do we gain the answers of life, not only do we gain these things, he said, but we get sanctification, which is that changing process where we go from one man to the next, that redemption, that salvation and righteousness. And righteousness means the right way, God's way. He says God is the source of wisdom. And that's something that I think that we have to arrive at. At the beginning, when we start talking about wisdom, we get into Proverbs and we get into Ecclesiastes and we get into the practical things of Scripture. And we, we have to arrive at the conclusion that what we are talking about is so deep and so, uh, in the Bible, in a minute we're going to even say that it says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no heart has imagined the wisdom of God, the things that God has in store, the knowledge that God possesses. We have to get to a place early on in this conversation, Christian or not Christian, believer or unbeliever, we have to get to a place where we understand that we are not smart enough to figure this life out and that there is a creator somewhere and you may not call him Jesus yet but that we have to know that the source of this wisdom the source of the deep answers of life rests solely in the power of a creator of God so the answer to the question what is the source of wisdom God is the only true source of wisdom but how does that wisdom get transferred to us? How do we learn? How does the creator, okay, if I buy that, if I believe you that the creator is there, how, how would I ever learn? How would I ever gain the wisdom and the knowledge of such a great being that created the world? Ultimately, because he'll make himself known to you in his own way. He, Paul starts to go through this and describe this process, and he gets into 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6, and he starts to say this. He says, yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. He said, listen, I want you to understand something. Right before this, he makes a statement. He says, when I first came to you, you were heathens. When I first came to you, you were hellions. When I first came to you, you were a little bit insane. So the only thing that I preached to you for the first bit was Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ crucified. And that was it because that's what you needed. You needed salvation. You needed the knowledge of Christ. You needed to know who Christ was. You needed love and the peace of Christ. 
Now that you have Christ, now that you are growing in Christ, that's how I'm going to define the word mature. Now that you are growing in Christ more every day, you're maturing in Christ. Now that you're there, I can impart, we can impart, we can teach wisdom to the ones who are growing in Christ. He goes on to say this, but we impart a secret and a hidden wisdom of God, which decreed before the ages for our glory. He says, I want you to understand something. He says, the, wi the wisdom that I'm teaching, the wisdom that I'm imparting, it's not the wisdom of this age. It's not the wisdom of this world. This is a secret hidden wisdom. This is that wisdom that only the creator could give you. This is the wisdom that only the one who designed could give you. This is the one, the, the only one who created the game could tell you the rules of the game. He says, this is that hidden wisdom. You aren't just born knowing the deep things of God. You're not just born knowing the deep wisdom of God. You're not just born. You can't even walk when you're born. You can't even think. You ever seen a baby? They just sit there. All right? That was you. You may be so arrogant now to think that you have always been. No, you are a pop little baby. Everything that you know in life, you learned. You didn't inherently know anything. Your intelligence means nothing when it comes to learning. Someone taught you. Someone showed you. Someone opened up the door so that you could learn how to walk and you could learn how to talk and you could learn how to count and you could learn how to do calculus. I've never learned how to do calculus yet, but some of you learned how to do calculus. There's these things in our life. Everything that we know, we know because we have been taught. And his point that Paul is saying is that you don't know, despite the arrogance of humanity, you don't know what this life is about on your own. That's why Solomon says in Ecclesiastes, men waste their life, women waste their life day in and day out working for the successes of this world to leave the world with nothing just as they came and lived a meaningless life. He says, you don't know inherently what this life is about. You don't know inside of yourself, on your own power and within your own knowledge, what truly life is about. He says, this comes only from the one who created the world. He is the source. And this is the way he teaches it. He says, not the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, or the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. This is what he's saying. All of those deep things, you could not imagine it even if you tried. The smart Einstein, one of the most gifted intellectual minds, he could not comprehend or come up with the deep secret wisdom of God. And Paul says, this is the thing. These are the things that God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thought except the Spirit of that person which is in him. Now this is really deep. I mean, this is something nobody can really understand. I'm going to show you. You guys ready? I'm thinking of something. Tell me what I'm thinking. Anybody. I'll give you a billion dollars. You say purple? It's a good color, but no, that's not what I'm thinking. All right, I'm going to try to send it to somebody over here in this direction. Anybody know? Just take a guess. Vacation. That's close. That's actually really close. <laughs> Courtney cheated. She knows me too well. I was thinking about a shark swimming through the water chasing children. That's what I was thinking about. All right? That's because I'm going shark fishing next week, and that's what I really, that's what I wanted to do. That's what I was thinking about in my mind. Now, listen, nobody in their right mind would have thought that I was thinking about a black tip shark swimming through the ocean chasing children. Nobody would have thought that in a million years. Why? Because you're not me. All right, you don't think like me. Be grateful for that. 
All right? You don't think like me. You don't know the deepest parts of my thoughts. You don't know the deepest parts of my heart. You don't know me. There's no way you would ever know me unless what? Unless I told you. Unless somehow I could communicate to you the deepest part of who I was. And that's what he's saying. He says, the Spirit of God. This is what he's revealed to us. The Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. And nobody knows. It goes on to say, nobody knows what God's thinking. It goes on to say, so also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. He said those things that our eyes can't see, our ears can't hear, our hearts can't even imagine, the deep, secret, hidden wisdom of an almighty creator, these are the things that the Spirit of God is teaching those who love him and those who go after him. It's simple this. It's simply this. The Spirit of God is teaching the people of God the wisdom of God. That's it. The Spirit of God is teaching the people of God the wisdom of God. Spirit of God is the one that teaches and relays the wisdom. Keep going. Let's finish this out. He goes, and we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. He says, it is the Spirit of God. This is what happens. You know that very first time, you know, you, maybe you grew up in church, maybe you didn't. Uh, maybe you, you, you followed Christ for a long time. Maybe you had just gotten saved. But the first time that you opened up the Word of God and you began to read through these ancient scriptures and all of a sudden something that you read changed your life. Something that you read, you read it and it broke you. You read it and you understood it. You read it and it added value to your life. You read it. That is the Spirit of God making and interpreting spiritual truth to you, teaching you the things of God. He goes on to say this. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly or foolish to him. And he is not able to understand them, but we have the mind of Christ. I do not have the time. This is not the series, but that word right there, but we have the mind of Christ, is one of the most powerful statements in all of Scripture and is a series of its own. It just means that the Spirit of Christ, the mind of Christ, when you begin to follow God, when you begin to change and you go after Christ, there is just this beautiful transformation that happens inside of your heart where you gain the Spirit and the mind of Jesus Christ. And now the depths and the secret things are opened up to you about this life. So ultimately, God is the source of wisdom, and the Holy Spirit is what teaches us wisdom. And real quick, so if God is a source and the Spirit is what teaches us the wisdom, where is wisdom found? Where do we see wisdom? Just in five short things right here. Scripture, prayer, teacher's experience, and general knowledge. We'll hang out on this more later. Where is wisdom? When, okay, I, I believe you. Source of wisdom is God. I'll buy the Spirit thing. The Spirit of God teaches us wisdom. But where do I go to find wisdom Scripture is one of the most primary ways to find the wisdom of God. I say it a lot. It blows my mind how many people say that they believe in God, yet never read or fully study or go after the Scriptures. He spent a long time, a couple thousand years, putting together this beautiful book of power and truth. And it has the potential to answer every question you've ever had and add so much value that it would change your life forever. That's what exists inside of Scripture. 
And as you read it, the Spirit of God teaches you the deep and hidden things of God. I'm going to say this. I get to offend you twice every week. If you are a Christian and you do not make a habit of reading the Bible on a regular basis, you are a very foolish person. And you are taking for granted one of the greatest opportunities that God has ever given you in Scripture. Number two, prayer. Huge for me. I can't tell you how many mornings. Sometimes I'm here, sometimes I'm in my house. How many mornings I start off praying God, give me the wisdom to lead. God, give me the wisdom to be the husband I need to be. God, give me the wisdom to pastor this church. God, give me the wisdom to teach and to preach. God, give me your wisdom. The Bible is explicitly clear from Genesis to Revelation that those who cry out to God, that those who seek God, James even says it straight up, if you want wisdom, ask God for wisdom. Pray. James chapter 1, read it and highlight it. If you want wisdom, ask God for wisdom, and he will give it to you through prayer. Again, I'm going to offend you twice right in a row, then we're done. Everything's cool after this. If prayer is not a part of your life and you are a Christian, you are a fool. It is the greatest, tied with Scripture, the greatest opportunity, the greatest gift to be able to sit, lay, walk, or stand before the creator of the universe and to pray and to communicate with him. Don't be so arrogant and so foolish that you actually think that you're good enough to make it through this life without seeking the wisdom and the knowledge and the help and the power and the dependency of the God who created you. Read your Bible and pray to God. Don't be foolish in these two manners. Good, that's it. Scripture, prayer, teachers, that's what I'm doing right now. I'm teaching you. It's not me. It's not my wisdom. I told you just a few minutes ago I was thinking about sharks eating children. Okay, the things that you learn on Sundays through the teaching and through the preaching and through the messages, it's because the Spirit of God is working through me and working in you to teach you the things of God. Those Sundays, it may not be every Sunday, but those Sundays when you sit in this room and something I say affects you and teaches you and changes your life, it's not because I'm smart because I'm not. It's not because I'm wise because I'm not really that wise. It's not because I'm some kind of brilliant scholar because I'm really, 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 really not. Ask Courtney. She knows the truth. It's because God opened up your heart and opened up your mind and took the words of a fool and taught you the great spiritual truths of God. That's what the Spirit does. It teaches us through. It even says it. Just in the, read through the first chapter of Corinthians all the way through at the very beginning. It says that God uses the foolish things of the world and the uh, jack A's of the world to teach the wise. All right, that's your pastor, me, the fool, and the other word that people got offended at, I only get two, I already used them all, my bad. Number four, experience. Experience. Everybody says, you know, I'm just, I'm old, I've lived a long time, so I have a lot of experience, so I'm really wise. No, because some of you are 55 and 60, and you're just as foolish as you were when you were 15. So experience has taught you nothing. Keep going through, you make the same mistakes over and over and over and over again. We see this most clearly in finances. I, I love this. I just don't know what happened. I keep spending the money that I don't have, and I never have any. I don't really understand. Yeah. Foolishness. You learn nothing from the first go around. All right? Don't spend money you don't have, and you will have money. 
Right? Don't live above your means and you have people all the time. This is the idea of a fool, a fool who did not learn from experience. But those who go after God, the Spirit of God will teach them through experience. You can go through the same failures and those same mistakes, but you come out on the other side wiser than the fool who goes through and makes the mistakes and then makes them again and makes them again and makes them again and makes them again. The Spirit of God teaches us through experience. And then this is my favorite one. This is general knowledge. This is the one where... A lot of Christians and a lot of churches and old school stuff, they're kind of, you know, like, if you're sick, who do you go see? The doctor. I will pray for you. I believe in the power of prayer. But if you get cancer, don't come see me. Go see a doctor and allow God to move through the science that he has given us. I will pray for you. We will pray for you. And I will believe that God will heal you in a second. But God has given us things. That's just like when your car breaks down. Don't bring it to me, Pastor. My car broke down. I'm going to drive it by the church and let you pray for it. All right, one, you're not driving anything. Your car broke down. All right, call a tow truck, tow it to the mechanic shop because they have some wisdom and knowledge on your car and they'll be able to fix it. I won't know how to do anything. I don't even know how to get the oil cap off, okay? That's what I'm saying. There are things in this world that God has given us through science. Christians want to hate science. Science is a beautiful thing. There's nothing wrong with science. Science has given us a lot of things like electricity and air condition. All of that is general knowledge. And the Spirit of God can even teach us through that. If you get sick, go to the doctor, shoot me a text, I'll pray for you. God will work through that just as well. Go see and use and gain the wisdom of God from general knowledge from the earth because all knowledge comes from who? God. So, number one, God is a source of wisdom. Number two, the Spirit of God teaches us and relays this wisdom. Number three, this is where wisdom can be found. But the most important question of the morning and throughout this series is where does wisdom truly begin? Where does wisdom truly begin? James chapter 3, if you have your Bibles flipped there, if you don't have your Bibles and you have a smartphone, real quick, Stop texting and download version from the App Store, and you can have a Bible right there in your hand. It's version. James says this, who is wise and understanding among you? He asked the question, who is wise? Who is understanding? It's a question we're asking. Who is wise? Where does wisdom begin? He goes on to say this. He says, let them show it by their good life, by the deeds done in humility that come from wisdom. He said, who's wise? Who is understanding? He said, a wise person, let them show it by their life. This is what I want you to hang on to for just a second. By deeds done in humility that come from wisdom. He says, the deeds, the works, the way that you live comes from humility before God in wisdom. We'll come back to that. But if you harbor bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. He says, listen, but... If you've got selfish ambition in your heart, don't lie to yourself. If you're living this life for you and for selfish ambition and for gain and for want and for success and to climb the corporate ladder, if that's what you're truly living, that's what you think life is about, he says, just don't lie to yourself. It's fine. Just don't lie to yourself. Don't come sit at church Sunday after Sunday after Sunday claiming to be a follower of Christ when actually who you are living and who you are serving is yourself. It's a deep-seated question. He goes on to say this. 
This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Keep going. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder in every vile practice. He says, this wisdom, this false wisdom that comes from the earth, it's unspiritual, it's demonic. It will ultimately result in two things in your life. It will result in disorder, and it will result in evil living. He goes on to contrast it with true wisdom. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, and gentle, and submissive, full of mercy, and good fruits, impartial, and sincere. So this is what James does. James spends a few verses, and he contrasts wisdom of the earth and the wisdom of God. And this is the conclusion that he comes to right here. Forget that one. Wisdom begins in the heart. Just keep going. There we go. He says, in the heart of man is where the wisdom of God begins. He contrasts the two and he says, listen, in one heart there is humility before God. There is a humble view of God. This is what that looks like. That means that you are well aware of reality. You are aware that you are one of seven billion people on this planet. And the seven billion people on this planet are just a few generations of thousands of generations before us. And at the end of the day, you're not that big of a deal. I know you think you are, but you're not. Even the greatest of the world today, the kings and the presidents and the powerful and the wealthy, they are not that big of a deal. They are just one in seven billion people in generations of thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands. The one with the humble heart has a healthy view of God. There is a respect for God. You realize at some point in your life that at the end of the day, you are the creation, one of many, and God is the one almighty, powerful, majestic creator of the universe and you believe that, and you live like that, you humble yourselves before this God, you say, listen, I get, I understand that you are God and that I am a mere man, and that even though I kind of think I'm a big deal, I'm really not, that you are God and I am just me, and so I will live my life in sight of the greatness of God. You have a healthy respect and a fear and an awe and a love of God Almighty. He says, this is the humble heart. And that's what James was saying. He does it out of the deeds, the way that you live. You live out of this viewpoint of God. My life, I live because I am humbled myself before God. I know that he is the great one. I know that he is the amazing one. I know that he is that. And because of that, I respect him. I live to please him. And I live to honor him. That's what having humility in our heart is. And then contrast to that, he says, then there are those with a selfish ambition. And at the end of the day, you sitting in this room right now, you are simply one of the two. It says that selfish ambition in this life is that you live for yourself. You may believe in God. You may not believe in God. You may know God. You may, you may not know God. But at the end of the day, whether you know him or whether you believe in him or not, you don't much care what he thinks about the life that you live. You are living a life of gain and of selfish ambition. You want to get what you want, do what you want, think what you want, say what you want. You want to make up the rules. You want to figure out what is right. It's about what you 
want. If you want wealth, you want to chase wealth. If you want power, you want to chase power. If you want comfort, you want to chase comfort. If you want control, you want to chase control. It's the selfish ambition. And I think sometimes in our heart and our mind, when we see something like selfish ambition, we immediately think of people climbing the corporate ladder. We think of kings and presidents, and we think of politicians, and they're chasing this big thing. Listen, selfish ambition in the heart is not racist, it's not prejudice, and it's not class warfare. It does not matter if you are nine to five or blue collar, white collar, white, black, red or yellow, rich or poor, fat or skinny, tall or short. You have selfish ambition in your heart. The end result for your life will be what? Disorder. And Paul says, you've got to be very aware of what is inside of your heart. There is one or the other. There's humility before God, and then there is that gain, that going after what I want, going after what I need, going after life is about me, and at best, God will help me get what I want. And he says, this type of wisdom, this type of mentality, this selfish ambition that exists in the humanity, it's the pattern of this world, it's this pride to go after what we think is right and what we think. He says, this is false wisdom, it's earthly, it's unspiritual, it's demonic, and it gives birth to disorder and evil living. That's why you can have the wealthiest of the wealthy and their life is filled with disorder. That's why you can have presidents climb to the highest height of power in this country and their personal life is filled with disorder. And that's why you can have the poor bum down the street in his life filled with disorder. It doesn't matter what you accomplish. It doesn't matter what you gain. And it doesn't matter what you chase. If in the core of your heart, when you wake up, you wake up with the goal of pleasing yourself and not God. At the core of who you are, saved or not saved, believer or unbeliever, is selfish ambition and disorder and chaos. Unsatisfaction and discontentment will be what your life will breed. Period. And then the humble heart before God. He says this, he says, godly wisdom is pure, peaceable, gentle, and it gives birth to order and peace and righteousness. I'm a foolish man. I've always been a foolish man. I have felt the stings of disorder and discontentment and unsatisfaction. In the last few years, I have experienced for the first time in my life the true overwhelming peace and order of God. And from the bottom of my heart, I would not trade order and peace from God for all the wealth in the world. I go to sleep every night fully satisfied in God. And I wouldn't trade it for anything or anyone. Order, peace, satisfaction at the end of the day. This is what you are after. Even if you don't call it that, even if you don't think it, it's what you're after. And James says, this is the beginning of wisdom. Solomon says it like this. He says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10. You should highlight that. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's those of us who come to a place in our life where we recognize the greatness of an almighty God. And we live every day out of respect and a healthy fear and an awe and a love of God. Solomon says, this is where wisdom begins. God is the source. The spirit is what teaches us. Wisdom can be found in scripture and in prayer and in teachers and experience and general knowledge. But at the core, at the core, at the source of your heart lies the beginning of wisdom, how you view God. And when you wake up in the morning, do you live for God? Do you live out of fear and a respect of an almighty God? 
or do you live to gain and to climb and to acquire? This is one of the only questions in this series that you need to answer before we move on. The next thing, what is wisdom? This is the easy part. What is wisdom? Moses says it like this. Moses said, see, I have taught you statutes and rules as the Lord my God commanded me that you should do them. Keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding. Moses said, listen, I have given you the rules and the statutes of God. I've given you the way that God thinks about things. I've given you what God desires us to do about things. I've given you the, 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 the rules and the statutes and the ways and the thoughts of, of marriage and parenting and war and finances. And he goes through all these huge books of the Bible, Torah. If you go through the first five books and you look, he says, I've, I've given you all of these things. And he says, now know the heart of God. Know what God says is good. Know what God says is right. Do it the way God says to do it. Live the way God says to live. This will be your wisdom. Jesus says it like this. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. Like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. Jesus says, listen, those of you who hear my thoughts, hear my ways, hear my teachings, hear what I think is good, and you put it in your life, you apply it in your life, you keep it in your heart, and you do it, you are wise. If you don't, you are foolish. So for the sake of the series, smashing these together, this is what wisdom is. Wisdom is knowing what God thinks is good to do and how to do what God thinks is good to do. Wisdom is knowing what God thinks is good to do and doing what God thinks the good is do. <laughs> Flip that. Wisdom <laughs> is not what I just said it was. <laughs> Wisdom is knowing the heart of God and what God thinks is right in every situation of our life and then doing what we know God thinks is right. Wisdom is knowing what God thinks about marriage and then handling our marriage the way that God says to handle marriage. Wisdom is knowing what God says is good about our finances and then handling our finances the way that God says is good. Wisdom is knowing how to, what God thinks about making big decisions and knowing how to make big decisions. Wisdom is knowing the heart and the thoughts and the ways of God and then doing it. In pursuit, ancient wisdom for modern living. Taylor, you can go ahead and come up here. Solomon, wisest man that ever lived, most successful man that ever lived, built kingdoms in his spare time. Just think about it, just for a second. You get up in the morning, have a cup of coffee, call your buddies, go play some golf. He wakes up in the morning, he calls his buddies, he takes over the world, builds kingdoms. Solomon acquired wealth beyond wealth, beyond wealth, beyond wealth. He was successful in everything and anything. And he's smarter than you are. He's wiser than you are. And near the end of Solomon's life, he wrote Proverbs through the course of his life. It's unique. You can even watch how it changes a little bit. Ecclesiastes he wrote at the end of the life. 
And throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, there's one really solid theme, and that is how to avoid a meaningless life. Solomon, for whatever reason, had a deep heart for people not wasting their life. And he even says it in Proverbs. He says, says, I'm writing this for the young. I'm writing this for the young men. I'm writing this for my sons that are coming up before me so that they won't waste their life. I'm writing it so the wise will grow wiser, but I'm writing it for the young. Solomon goes through Ecclesiastes, and he talks about, and we'll get more into this, but he talks about it. He talks about watching men and women and people and kingdoms strive after the things of the Lord. He says, you know what I've watched? I've watched men work their entire life to acquire great wealth. Then they die, and they pass it on to people who didn't work for it and didn't deserve it. He says, this is vanity. This is meaningless. He goes on to say, you know, I've watched people, I've watched people find love in their youth. This is a big one for today. I've watched people find love in their youth and then go through their cores and trade themselves for adultery and prostitutes and living. And he goes on, he says, and they waste this love. This is vanity. This is meaningless. He says, I've watched people raise their children, and they grow up, and the children know nothing because they were so focused on the world and not raising their family and taking part of the one true good thing that God has really given us, our family. And he says, this is meaningless. This is worthless. And he says, he talks about even earthly wisdom and education and knowledge. And he says, he goes, people chase their whole lives. These great philosophers, they go and they ask all these questions. And at the end of their life, they spend their whole life trying to acquire knowledge and education. And, and they're left with more questions than they had to begin. And they're usually depressed and suicidal. He says, this is vanity. This is meaningless. He said, I've watched men and women through all walks of life live their entire life and wind up it being meaningless. That's all Ecclesiastes is. It's really, really exciting. Everything is meaningless. I'm telling you, it's the greatest book. You're having a bad day, read Ecclesiastes. It'll get worse. <laughs> he goes through, because you know why it's, do you know why it, it's actually, truthfully, one of the most exciting, joyous books in the whole Bible. It appears depressing to you because he calls the way you're living your life meaningless. That's why you don't like it. That's why it stings. And that's why you're like, Solomon was sad. He wasn't sad. Did you not hear all the things he did in life? What tore at his heart was people living meaningless lives. And he said, because I've got an advantage over most of you. I've acquired all of the things you're desiring to acquire, and I'm telling you, they're meaningless. Anyway, goes through, vanity, vanity, vanity. Meaningless, meaningless, meaningless. He gets to chapter 12, Ecclesiastes 12, 1. And then you can see his heart. He says this comment right here. He says, remember also your creator and the days of your youth. I just want to read the whole thing. It's a beautiful thing. It's not going to be up here. He just kind of writes a beautiful little, little poem almost. Ecclesiastes 12. I'm just going to kind of read through it. It says, Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near, of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. He's saying, As time begins to go on. And the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men become bent. As you get older, you become weaker. 
And the grinders cease because they are few. And those who look through the windows are dimmed. And the doors on the street are shut. When the sound of the grinding is low. And one rises up at the sound of a bird. Remember the creator. And all the daughters of the song are brought low. Remember the creator before they are afraid of what is high. Before the terrors are in their way. The almond tree blossoms. It's just a poetic way of saying when, when your hair turns gray. It's what's happening to most of you. Because they are few. My hair is thinning. Shut up. It's fine. And those who look through the windows are dimmed. And the doors on the street are shut. When the sound of the grinding is low. And the one rises up at the sound of a bird. And all the daughters of song are brought low. They are afraid also of what is high. And the terror is in the way. The almond tree blossoms. The grasshopper drags itself along. And desire begins to fail. Because man is going on and on to his eternal home. And the mourners go about the streets. Because the silver cord is snapped. Before the golden bowl is broken. Or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain. Or the wheel broken at the cistern. And the dust returns to the earth as it was and the spirit returns to God who gave it. He says, remember the creator in the days of your youth before you get old, before you grow, before your hair turns gray, before you get weak, before time runs out. He goes through this beautiful thing and he says, remember the creator. And then at the end, he says these words, vanity of vanity, says the preacher. I wish I was awesome enough just to be called the preacher. He says, the end. Vanities of vanity, says the preacher. He said, after all the things that I've watched, after all the things that I've seen, after all the, way, all the meaningless ways I've seen people live their life, all is vanity. And he said, this is the vanity of vanities. This is what is most meaningless out of all the meaningless things. This is what is most worthless out of all the worthless things. Those of you that do not remember and do not know and do not give honor and do not seek to please the creator of the universe before it is too late. This is the vanity of vanities. I've grown old, I've watched the world, I've gone through, I've done it all, and I'm telling you, the greatest tragedy of this world are those people who live their entire life without remembering their creator, knowing their creator, loving their creator, knowing and honoring and pleasing their creator. He says, this is the vanity of vanities. He said, people spend their whole life chasing power and lying and manipulating and trying to climb the ladders of success and gaining, 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 busy, 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 busy. He said, the busyness of life they go through and they never know their creator. Truly know. And at the end of the day, there are a lot of you sitting in this room right now, this morning. You grew up in church. You know God. You got all this going. But when you wake up in the morning, you seek to please yourself, and you do not remember your Creator. I think the language that he uses is very specific. He could have said known the Creator. He could have said met the Creator. He could have said a bunch of things. But he said remember the Creator in an instant of saying that you once knew him. You had an idea of him. 
You were once in love with him. You once lived to please him. It was saying that you have been introduced to the God of all gods before. But as you go on and life goes on and you grow older and one marriage fails after another and you keep going and age comes and age goes and job comes and jobs goes and money comes and money goes. The economy rises and the economy falls and governments grow and governments crash. He said, I've watched it in the vanities of vanities is that those people who have an opportunity to know and to love and to honor and to please the God of all gods forget to live for him. He said, this is the vanity of vanities. This is the vanity of vanities. And I'm going to tell you something right now. This country, this great land of America, it is the easiest place on planet earth to forget your creator. Because you don't need him. Because you got your house and you got your roof and you got your car and you got your job and you got your money. And for most of you, the only time you really think about him when things get tough. And then you start to cry out, and then you get desperate, and then you start to pray because he's your backup plan. Because you live your life remembering yourself, remembering your wants, remembering your desires, remembering what you want to gain, remembering where you want to go, remembering what makes you happy, but you forget the God of all gods. And the wisest, most successful man that ever lived said, that is the vanity of vanity. And for me and my house, we will not forget the creator of the universe. And if I die poor in a box, I will die with a smile on my face, happy that I served and I honored God of all gods, the creator of the universe. So you chase your wealth, you live your houses, you go, you grow, you do your thing, you go, flop, 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 move through life, forget your creator, and you will get to the end of your days, and you will look back, and you will know, and you will see, I believe it with all my heart, before you die, or before you stand before God of all gods, you will know the life I lived was worthless and meaningless, because all I acquired is gone because at the end of the day you are dust and you will go back to dust and the only thing that will live is the spirit of God that rests inside of you and you will spend eternity one place or the other and at the end of the day God has made himself known to you and it's up to you who you go to and Solomon says don't chase all the things I've already acquired I'm telling you they're not going to give you the satisfaction you think they are there will be disorder chaos, depression, unsatisfaction, and discontentment until you remember your creator and live and honor him. And Solomon says the key to do that is wisdom. You guys will stand with me. I pray, Lord God, I pray, Father, right now that you will open up the hearts and the minds of the people in this room, Lord God, that you will consume the depths of our hearts, God, that you will open up and you will take away all of the distractions and all of the things in our lives that take us away from the truth, God, all the things that take us away from you. And right now, this moment, this second, Lord God, let every single person in this room remember that there is a creator. And that we know that you created us for a purpose and that within you lies the answers, the deep-seated answers to the questions that we so long to know. And I pray, Father God, as, as, as people begin to open up the Bible this week, as people begin to read through Proverbs, as people come back next week and we go through the messages, as people start to think about wisdom and, and think about you and remember you and evaluate their life and chase you, I pray, Lord God, that you will make yourself known 
to the hearts and the minds of every single person in this room, Father. I pray, Lord God, as people start to take steps towards you and start to take steps towards wisdom, as they start to become a people who pursue your ancient, holy, beautiful, majestic wisdom and truth, God, that you will teach us and you will guide us and you will be with us. I pray, Lord, for the success of this series, not the success in the way that we think about it, but that our lives will be changed through the course of this series, that we will begin to think about life differently, that we will begin to handle things in our life differently, that we will become a people who pursue your wisdom. I thank you, Father, for all you've done, all you will do through the course of this series, God. As we spend the next few minutes worshiping, Lord, I pray, Lord, right now that your spirit will move through the hearts and the minds of the people in this room and let every single one ask the question, do I live remembering the creator day in and day out? In your holy and your precious name.